Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Faces and FinOps podcast powered by ProsperOps. I'm your host, John Meyer. Now, the Faces and FinOps podcast is about highlighting thought leaders in the cloud financial management space and insights on how they're making an impact not only within their organization, but the broader FinOps community. Today's guest is Austin Chang, a senior FinOps analyst at a major ERP company that he's been at for the last three years. He mainly focuses on reporting, tooling, analytics, and managing commitment-based discounts. Please join me in welcoming Austin to the show. Austin, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Austin, before we jump into things, how about you give our audience a little bit of a backstory about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been in FinOps for, uh, practicing FinOps for about the last uh, three years. Um, And I kind of got, I kind of, honestly, I kind of fell into it. Um, I've been at my company for, about uh, almost almost nine years, eight years now, and through a series of, of reorgs and a little bit of shuffling and joining uh, a new team, um, I was uh, I, I I kind of fell into the the FinOps space, and so beforehand I um, was really mainly focused on doing customer cost analytics for our private data center side, and so. Um, FinOps now has been something that I had to really, even just understanding the DevOps world and uh, understanding uh, cloud financial management has been, um, it's been, a, it's been really fun for me. It's been a great, it's been a great journey and still continuing to learn and still, um, yeah, still, still feel like I'm trying to uh, understand things. I think the best stories are the ones where you fell into a role, it's kind of gravitated toward you. And that's really where a lot of the passion comes into and your expertise just gets, keeps growing and growing. And it's always an area that you can continue to learn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, now being on, on this side of uh, doing FinOps and public cloud cost management, I mean, private data center cost analytics just does not <laughs> seem nearly as interesting for me. It's, it's and. And just in general, just being able to use uh, the cloud has been uh, something that's so much more dynamic and, and really interesting for me. I'm not sure I could go back to a private data center, a racketing stack and servers versus this public cloud where you can't physically touch an asset, but there's so much more and there's a lot of variables to it. It's actually really exciting. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and for me, as uh, from the analytics side, being having um, very uh, specific level of data to, to work with is what uh, really excites me as opposed to, you know, on the private data center side, you're doing all these working a lot with your finance team for I guess, amortization schedules and, and all that, just having a much more cleaner dynamic uh, way of calculating uh, usage and measuring and reporting and all that. It's just, it's just so much more enjoyable. Austin, can you talk a little bit more about your role at your current company? What are you responsible for? What are you doing there? Yeah, sure. So um, as a as a FinOps analyst, I mean, we our, our, our FinOps team um, spans all the different um, spans all the different areas of, of FinOps. And uh, I'm specifically working on our cloud cost management tool. So we using Looker as our cloud cost management tool to um, kind of our, what we've kind of home, homegrown uh, at this point, we were using um, a, a different cloud cost management tool beforehand. And, you know, over time, 
we saw that we were outgrowing it and we nearly needed something that was more uh, customizable. Uh, and so I am building out a lot of our, uh, our dashboards and reporting and being a subject matter expert to our different um, technology teams to help them understand uh, their costs as well as then point them to, uh, you know, different cost saving opportunities. Um, so I build out a lot of dashboards that highlight our savings potentials, our saving potentials, uh, cost reduction potentials. And then, um, so that's one aspect of it. Um, we also, are, I also manage our uh, commitment-based discounts uh, right now. So making sure our company has both, uh, or balancing between uh, the utilization as well as the coverage. And um, right now, yeah, I'm the one who manages it for all of my all of my company's uh, spend, and um, been pretty uh, pretty proud to say that I have a really good ESR, really high ESR, um, and it's just a testament to you know the teams that we have that I can work with um, to uh, understand their workloads as well as um, uh, as well as the tools that we have that allow me to kind of maintain our coverage. Awesome. Before we dive in a little more about what you're like specifically the dashboards, I have a lot of curious questions on these dashboards yeah. uh, that you created in the data and the importance of it. But I'm going to ask a challenging question. Why FinOps? What does FinOps mean to you? Sure. Yeah, I, I think that FinOps means just getting the most out of your cloud spend, right? And making sure that, um, you know, we have the guardrails in place so that um, your your company and your, your engineering teams can really uh, succeed, right? You know, with the cloud, possibilities are limit are limitless, but we have to also stay within budget, stay within. And so and and to really use the cloud in a smart way, and so FinOps uh, provides uh, the tools and the, I think the frame of mind and frame of thinking to be able to, um, best achieve that. I like how you said getting the most out of your cloud, right? Out of your cloud yeah. spend. You, you didn't even tell me that it was cost savings, cost reduction. It's getting the most out of your environment. And then obviously you're saving some money, but making money at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think when everybody dives into FinOps in the very beginning. Um, I mean, uh, nobody really, or it's it's always the case where people are, you know, uh, diving into FinOps without really a FinOps background, right? It's always like, oh no, our cloud bill is, is going up and we really need to uh, get a handle on it, right? And so I think FinOps always starts off as a cost saving kind of uh, exercise for folks um, because it's, especially at, uh, at a larger company, you know, it kind of creeps up on you. Um, but then, you know, over time, it really is about the discipline of having, getting the most out of your cloud and, you know, using it smart, smartly, creating automation that, that uh, prevents, you know, instances from just running perpetually, uh, using the right instances, using, yeah, using the right resources for the right uh, time. 
what happened what originally when the cloud kind of started out everybody was jumping onto it and their cloud bill was creeping up and they're just like yeah we got to get there we're going to get there and now what they're realizing is that it's a variable and they can't kind of keep the constraints within it anymore now they have to make that a priority austin i want to jump over to really about the FinOps in your organization. Were you the first hire, one of the first hires in it? Um, I wasn't the first hire, but I was definitely one of the very earliest members um, of the FinOps team um, as it is uh, instructed today. So um, yeah, I was, like I, like I had mentioned earlier, I was kind of, uh, kind of shuffled around into it and uh, fell into it. And so, yeah, it's been a it's a really it's been a really great journey to be able to see uh, how you know my company is continually growing uh, in the cloud, and um, and so despite that, we've been able to you know have develop a, a culture and an awareness around cloud spend in a way that you know our I guess year over year um, spend has been. Um, has been as a percentage uh, decreasing in a way that, you know, we're still growing, we're still growing the clouds, still spending more today than we did yesterday, but at the very least getting a handle on not having, you know, crazy growth. How would you describe your organization's FinOps maturity though? Yeah. So um, I would say it's um, somewhere between um, right now. So, um, yeah, I think right now our FinOps team has more of a, I would say kind of more of like a finance uh, angle into operating and really looking to grow uh, in the engineering uh, side of it. And so, um, yeah, I would say it's at a, somewhere in between a, a fall in a walk right now where we have really great, um, you know, showback tools. We have really great um, cloud cost uh, awareness. And and now it'll, uh, have a very good, um, I think forecasting process as well, uh, where it is, we have some good uh, forecasting kind of automation that allows us to um, crowdsource and have our engineering teams be uh, responsible and owners of their cloud spend, or at least their cloud spend forecasts. And, um, you know, when it comes to really kind of going further, you know, having that, uh, having a lot of more automation behind um, our guardrails, and then also um, incorporating more data to really, uh, of our team's interest or uh, able to see their their spend um, from say our, our Kubernetes workloads um, and, and other aspects. How critical is it to visualize and see all these different workloads and what's happening within your cloud environment? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's critical, right? Um, especially when it comes to really selling um, uh, selling you know FinOps as a as a discipline as a practice. Um, as a mindset, it's uh, really great for anybody to be able to see the impact that they have when they make changes, right? So, for example, I was um, 
I was rolling out this uh, dashboard that was, you know, all about EBS volumes, right? Uh, how much are you? How much are you running in GP two versus GP three? Um, you know, and what do your snapshots look like, right? And I was able to um, show uh, a team that was pretty mature in 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 running uh, efficient uh, workloads. Uh, how their snapshots were growing uh, over time, right? And he's like, "Oh, why is this? Why is this like this?" Here, uh, let me. Uh, thanks for showing me this. Let me get back to you, right? And then in a few days, he uh, he uh, made sure that he had some automation to delete, um, you know, certain snapshots after a certain amount of time, and he can immediately see that. Right? And um, and so not only having that vi visualization, but then also tying that visualization to a number, right? People are, um, are are more inclined and prone to take upon, act upon things when they have like a number to to work towards, right? So you can show them what is you know what is your potential savings, um, and what is your progress up to this point, and 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 how much can you save further on? And I think when I when it comes to working with uh, engineers, I feel I find that having both daily and yearly uh, impact. It's kind of like the most effective, right? Hourly data is sometimes a little too, almost too granular. I and mean, I'm just talking about like, like impact on the mind to take action, right? So hourly is a little too granular almost, but then daily, you know, people can th think about their lives in terms of days, you know, most immediately. And so having a daily impact, um, you know, you can save X amount over this day. And then as and then also a yearly impact, like how much could you save if you if this action that you took ran for twelve months? In the example that you just gave about the EBS volumes, it sounded like your engineers trusted you in the data, and I don't want to say bought into the FinOps, but understood the value of it. Mm -hmm. Was it always that way, or did you have to build that trust and get them motivated in order to take action? Yeah, I definitely had to. Definitely have to build build that uh, trust, right? Um, because on the one hand, you know, engineers, they, um, you know, they're really they're really focused on the things that they have on their plate at this time, right? And then somebody else comes around, some unknown person kind of comes around and says, "Hey, you know, you could save this such and such amount," and you know, it all sounds great, but you know, I have other competing priorities going on right now. I mean, I'm even kind of a I, I feel like recently I had some um, some insight even into that kind of uh, mentality because um, we're using we're using Looker and and because of that uh, we have BigQuery costs and our BigQuery costs have uh, have been going up and there are areas to to optimize that and I'm like oh man but I have to so much like other work to do. Um, it's going to be hard to me for when, when am I going to even find time to, um, to uh, even address these BigQuery costs. And so, I, I, and, and me not being an engineer, I never really had that kind of perspective or insight uh, into these things. But, you know, early on in my FinOps um, journey, like I said, I don't have any DevOps background or, or engineering background. And so I definitely went into things um, a little... I went into things, you know, just pointing out engineers or, or engineering managers, like, why are you using this? Or why aren't you using that? This needs to be, this could be cheaper if you use X and X, X amount, right? And I think that really, um, that 
did not take well in the very beginning because, you know, uh, we didn't really have a, a, a proper, I think, uh, reporting and dashboarding tool to um, really represent, you know, what I'm saying. But, and so a lot of these things kind of just uh, fell on deaf ears. Uh, and so having, um, it really all, it really breaks down, boils down to the data, right? Uh, having a common set of data that you can, um, you know, sit around the table uh, together and be able to sit down and walk through, you know, this is what we're seeing. Um, you know, could you help us understand why you workloads, why you run the workloads as you do today? And then, um, and what are the opportunities? What are the potential? Let's map out the potential that we have to be able to co save costs here. That thing you said right there is understanding why you're doing it right now. I was on the engineering side and we would have to deploy out a workload, right? You had a licensing. It had to be on a certain size instance, anything outside of that. And you broke licensing agreement or that was the specs and requirements because people didn't understand what the cloud was versus on-prem. They're like, give me the best server, the biggest server part. So you followed all those <laughs> guidelines and they're like, yeah, yeah, I have to. It says it right here. And it, it, people were still understanding and learning the cloud at the same time. But you are, you asked the right questions. Why are you not, hey, run on this one, it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. No, I can't. And now you understand. But it really, how did you get them to be motivated to make that change? Because most engineers are like, it's not my money. Why? Like, what is the value? You kind of really have to tell them like all the other things that you can do, all the other investment and money that you can get into it. But how did you get them motivated to make those changes? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that it definitely is the case that most engineers have like a lot on their plate, right? And so cost optimization is, um, is, is, it can take a backseat, uh, for sure. And so, um, you know, I think for, for, for to, to getting people motivated to really, uh, make the changes, um, it really is about making your, for me, what I found is making your, your visualizations um, and your reporting as straightforward as possible, right? Because then it's um, easy to, something that's easy to digest. And when it's easy to digest, then they're more willing to um, take action uh, on things. Um, and then, you know, there's also the, there's also the forecasting side of things where, you know, now teams have they're, um, you know, the finances are, are, are in a much uh, sharper focus, um, especially these these days, as opposed to, oh man, I feel like a couple of years ago, 2021, people were, people were spending money uh, left and right, and they were just building as much as possible. In the last couple of years, uh, uh, people are paying attention more to their costs. And so um, having uh, budgeting and forecasting um, in a way which uh, keeps uh, people accountable um, and, and really also being able to bring that uh, to them, right? Not like having their their forecasts and their budgets, like not just to hang it over their heads and like, hey, you know, this is what you forecasted, this is what you budgeted for the year, but making it a um, another uh, almost, you know, piece of data that we can sit across, sit at the table with and bring it to them. Like, these are your costs, but this is also what you have. And let's understand why this is happening. And I think that's also 
one of the really great things about um, you know the cloud cost management tool that we've kind of built uh, internally in that we also have our budgeting and forecasting integrated with our cloud costs. And so we can, you know, like I said, have a common set of data that we can uh, meet with people over. Awesome. Can I talk about like the dashboards and the analytics yeah. that you're responsible for and that sure. you built? Because one of the things with FinOps, obviously the tool either build, buy, or a native integration, and you guys have built the tool around mm -hmm. it. And for the reporting capability, what are some of the key reports or dashboards that you've put together for your team? Yeah. So um, I think some of the key um, reports that we have is uh, just being able to give like a high level summary of, of what your, what kind of spend you have in your account, what's your daily spend, what are the different, um, what are the different uh, AWS services um, that you're spending in? Um, because I think just having those off, I mean, they're, they're simple dashboards, but it allows people to, um, I guess, get, get familiar with the data, start at a high level and, um, get comfortable with the data that is, uh, that they're, that they're looking at. Um, to be honest, I, I borrow a lot from the, uh, cost intelligence dashboards, um, when, when, um, when I was initially, uh, building them, but. Yeah, it's a, a mixture of, um, you know, showing folks what they have in spending, um, as well as um, showing them what is, you know, potential savings that they could have if they, um, if they, if they, you know, move from, say, like I already brought this up, but GP3 to GP2 to GP3, their EBS volumes, that is, or if, you know, these are their snapshots that are, you know, X days old, one year old, over a year old, you know, this is, what you could be saving. Um, one dashboard that I um, that I've um, spent a, a lot of time building building out is actually almost reads like a blog. So it's a really neat um, uh, feature within Looker that you can have you know all your texts and things like that alongside, and it's very customizable. You know where you arrange all the all your uh, reports, um, and so I, like I just run down all the different kind of services that we. Um, that, that we could potentially be saving money in and, you know, write an explanation, you know, this is how, uh, this is how much we're spending in, you know, this service and this is how much you could be saving if you, um, if you move to a, to a, to a newer, newer generation or a newer workload. How often are these reports viewed or even reviewed within the organization or team? Um, I would say it's, uh, do you mean like review, like other engineering teams uh, reviewing them? Yep. Yeah. 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 So I mean, an example is you have these reports, you have these dashboards readily available to them. Is there a requirement to view it like daily or is it a weekly review or a monthly review? Gotcha. Uh, no, it's not a, it's not a requirement for them to, to, um, to view it, but we do have, um, but as people kind of get onboarded with our, uh, with our tool, um, there are uh, these kind of almost kind of generic dashboards that anybody can access, um, and it, it allows them to get a, get a, like a cursory view into their into their spend. And then, you know, a lot of times people are actually looking for something a little or a lot more specific. Um, and so, I'll work with teams to um, help them build out. You know, what is the specific view uh, that they're looking for? Like, uh, let me think of uh, an example. 
maybe maybe people, folks are looking at you know how much are they spending in a in a certain EC2 instance, um, and or how much are they spending in S3 on an hourly basis because they're like starting to make changes in and they want to see you know they really want to see uh, the impact that they had once they made uh, some some changes and so um, I'll help guide uh, the folks through that. Actually, I want to dive into reviewing or viewing a certain EC2 instance. What's the importance of that? Yeah, sure. So um, are you saying like using a, a certain EC2 instance type or like a particular resource, like almost like down to the resource ID? Uh, that's actually a good question. We can, we can talk about both. Say uh, the report uh, example that you were talking about, they want to see why they're using or how much they're using of a certain instance, say an instance types. So what's the importance of visualizing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So um, I would say that the importance of, of being able to see like what instance type they're on is then you can see like what is, what is like the mixture of instances that you're using, right? Um, and then coupled with that, then you could say, hey, hey, these are these are the better instances to be using. Um, you could use this instead. Or if you if you downgrade even, you know, this is what the cost impact is gonna be. Uh, like or yeah, going maybe from like a four XL to a two XL. Right. And so couple always coupled with um, being able to see that instance level uh, view is also, you know, what is the potential cost impact of, of, of if you were to make changes. I see the value in that report because you can look at the instance type that you're currently on and newer generations of the instance type are technically cheaper because they mm -hmm. want you on those so they can roll out the older ones. Mm -hmm. But then it also allows you to visualize how many you have for commitments, correct? Right, right. Yes, definitely. Um, and, uh, and that's actually big part of what I, what I'm doing as well. Like I, and I will look at, um, our, for instance, our, our RDS instances on an hourly basis, right. Or on it, sorry, at an hourly level, uh, I don't look at the RDS instances on an hourly basis, <laughs> but at an hourly level. Um, and yeah, trying to, trying to get up to that optimal point of what is, you know, how much should we be covering for our RIs? Um, I mean, I manage the RIs for all of our, um, all of our company. So we definitely don't want um, our uh, engineering teams to be um, too focused on that, right? And so, but for myself, yeah, I would definitely look at those instances at a really level, um, or yeah, at a really level to be able to make sure we're running the right optimal uh, coverage for our engineers discounts. Now, are you responsible for that for your entire company? And how are you managing that, like manually automated? Yeah, right now it's um yeah yes I'm the, the I'm, I manage it for the entire company um and it's a really good uh practice uh I think pretty much at least within the FinOps community pretty understood that it's a standard practice to centralize all of your commitment based discounts to make sure that um if uh, especially on like maybe like the savings plan side to make sure that like the instance that gets like the best discount on savings plans is prioritized. Um, and so, yeah, we, um, I do manage it manually, uh, right now, um, we're exploring some, uh, some automated, uh, methodologies or, uh, services, but 
we, um, you know, right now our, our workloads are fairly predictable. And so, um, managing it manually is, uh, sustainable at this time, uh, savings plans, you know, savings plans make it, uh, easy, uh, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, we run a mixture of RIs and savings plans because like I, like I mentioned, um, there is a pretty good, uh, level of predictability with our, our instances being used. And so, uh, in that case, um, you know, having RIs and even standard RIs is actually been proven to be quite advantageous for us. Um, and then we have savings plans for all the, the workloads that, you know, I won't be able to predict or if teams are shifting, uh, are shifting, uh, their workloads, you know, that, that I'm not aware of, then, um, the savings plans will cover that. Awesome. What are some of the biggest mistakes you might see immature FinOps teams implement or try to achieve? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think mistakes would probably be not getting to know um, or not asking why amongst their, their, um, their stakeholders, their engineering teams. Right. Um, and I, and I'm just speaking, you know, more so from my own personal experience of having, you know, fell in, fallen into FinOps and really trying to make like an impact as much as possible. Right. Kind of, uh, having egg on my face for, for trying to go into a conversation going like, we notice that you guys are using these old generations. Like, why aren't you using these new generations? Right. Um, and yeah, I think really being able to sit down with your stakeholders and understand like why, what, how is their, you know, why are they running what they're running? Right. And, you know, a lot of times people just aren't even aware of, um, you know, what's, what's going on, uh, in the latest and greatest, you know, uh, offerings that AWS has. And so, um, I think the one recommendation or, or advice tied in with mistakes that I see is, uh, really rushing in to make an impact, uh, and, uh, and not taking the time to, uh, really sit down with your, sit down with your, your stakeholders and understand, uh, what they're going through. Um, and I think tied in with that is making sure, like I said, you have the data um democratized to, to work with people uh to to sit around the table together and understand you know what's your what's your cost at what's your run rate how much you are you uh looking to grow and and how can we um how can we work together to really understand the cost op cost savings cost reduction opportunities Sounds like one of the biggest mistakes is going into maybe more of a walk phase and trying yeah. to run before understanding and being informed of your data and starting out small. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's a collaboration, right? You're working together and, um, you know, jumping into things, being prescriptive, right? Uh, it's definitely, you know, being prescriptive will fall into the, uh, the walk or the run phase, right? But um, yeah, like you said, kind of, uh, being a little too eager, right. Especially when it's like a company that is large, right. And cloud spend is, um, kind of crept up, like I mentioned in the past. Um, and now like you gotta, you feel like you have to make an impact. And so you're, uh, 
really kind of uh, swooping in and trying to make waves when when it really might fall on deaf ears without uh, that kind of collaborative. I think that might be one of the challenging things when you're implementing FinOps, you have leadership buy-in and you need to make an impact or you feel you need to make an impact right away and immediately because leadership's looking at you when you really need to understand and take the time to familiarize yourself with not only all the various teams, understanding the resources you're utilizing and why you're using them, and then start to like, you know, work through all the phases of FinOps and the implementation. And at that point, in a couple, I, I want to say a couple of months, because by then you can actually start to implement these things and you'll see that impact. But the budget, the dollars are so huge that it's like, man, I got to do something now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The, 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 the potential, uh, the, the potential to, to save on money, reduce costs, you know, it's there. It's like, but you gotta, you gotta be all working together on it. It's not just, uh, it's not just, not just the FinOps team that's working on it. Awesome. We were talking about some of the biggest mistakes or challenges an immature FinOps team or culture is. Well, you've indicated that you're not a mature. You don't feel that you're a mature one. But let's talk about maybe some of the mistakes or challenges that you've come across that can be potential advice for those who are looking to implement or improve their FinOps culture. It really boils down to the data. You know, from um, from me, from an analyst standpoint, from an analytics standpoint, it really boils down to the data. And so I think my uh, advice or, you know, at least from my perspective of where I would really emphasize thing is get really good, um, get really good data engineers or really good engineers who will be able to, um, really source data from uh, sorts of different places. So for us, we're primarily using the cost and usage uh, report right now. Um, and we could really augment that data um, by by being able to integrate um, more uh, more sources of data and kind of letting that uh, uh, letting that uh, really allow teams to get a multi-dimensional kind of perspective on their data. So you know, just running off the top of my head, things like um, CloudWatch metrics, um, getting that integrated because I think one huge area that we really want to um, improve upon is or unattached EBS volumes, right? You know, you won't get unattached EBS volumes with the cur itself. Um, or then when it comes to uh, understanding your forecasting and your budgeting, having a good like, cadence and practice around that, um, having um, good uh, data engineers to be able to create tools that you need uh, for that are really, really important. Every single conversation or podcast I've done, everybody has indicated that having the right data is critical, not only for doing some type of improvement or doing cost optimization or reviewing it, but it also helps you trust throughout the entire team and engineers that the data is correct. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, yeah, I've, I've run into some, some data data issues uh, even recently where um, our data pipeline was not completing in a um, in a timely fashion and so it just created this weird um, it just created this weird output for for our data and when people and it kind of averaged out okay from like a monthly standpoint or the daily standpoint but when it got into the hourly perspective it was just like this 
kind of weird fuzziness that we saw. It looked like mold on a on a on a piece of bread. Uh, our, our usage and like maybe this was like on RDS, right? Which you know for the most part has a pretty consistent usage. So, uh, but when when engineers see that, then they think, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, this is this this data doesn't make sense. Now the one the one area one moment where I got away with it was because uh, it was a uh, recently when I think uh, AWS had some issues with S3 data, um, yeah. and so the cost usage report. This might be a little too much inside baseball, but um, that happened, and and and, and so uh, it, it was okay to not have good data because it wasn't much fault. But um, yes, having having um, the integrity of what you're saying uh, can definitely be undermined or compromised when you don't have um, clean, good data. All right, Austin, I'm going to switch some things up here and let's ask you some fun questions that have nothing to do with FinOps. What sure. do you say? <laughs> sure. All right, let's have a little fun. Okay, if you did not have to be here right now, and when I say right here, I mean not this podcast. I'm talking work because you want to be here. <laughs> if you didn't have to be at work right now, where would you be and why? If I didn't have to be at work, where would I be? Um, well, if, if it meant I'm not working at all, I'd probably move out to somewhere uh, somewhere quieter, somewhere rural, um, just of a quieter life with maybe my family and maybe a few, a few dogs and just, just have a nice, uh, outdoor space to kind of explore day to day. I agree with you. I actually would love the woods, a nice cabin, but, uh, and very quiet. I, I don't know if I could completely disconnect, but I would try. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much, uh, I could be, uh, in the same boat as this, but if I didn't have to work. That would, I think a, a slower pace of life would be kind of nice. Okay, we'll make sure she doesn't watch the ending of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> also, let me ask you the last question. Do, do you remember the iPod? The little device, some music oh, on it? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, just check it. <laughs> I, I know I'm a little bit older, so I always have to be like, what is an iPod? You know, it was your iPhone, but it had no internet connection. <laughs> if you had an iPod, and I'm talking the OG, we can say the, the Nano or Minnow, Mini because it's fine. If you had that, what music would be on there? Um, goodness, I don't know. I don't really. I'm sorry. This might be a, a lackluster kind of a, a response, but I, I don't really um, have any particular music that I that I um I go through phases. I go through all sorts of different random phases of music, and I don't really even listen to a whole lot of uh, music like when I'm working or things like that. But that only that's because I just really love podcasts. I love listening to podcasts and um it's uh and it's it's fun to be able to to do this one uh first time uh, doing a podcast. But um man, if I had music What we can music. say is there an audio book <laughs> that you would like to add on to it or maybe there's a uh, you couldn't even read off of those, like the those. So let's just say audiobook or anything. But that's all right. We could just say that this podcast was way back then, and you would listen to this. <laughs> definitely, definitely, it's been great to be able to learn all sorts of different perspectives from other people. And sometimes I listen on the way to work, and I get ideas, and I'll make sure I do. I get an idea pitched to my uh, pitch to my team. All right. Well, as my last question is, who are some of the most influential practitioners in FinOps today? I mean, I would say that uh, my former manager, uh, he was the my 
my first sorry, my first manager in in FinOps has definitely been um, one of the most I guess for me influential uh, people within FinOps. Uh, having that, I think having that mentality of getting the data where it needs to be to be able to have a starting point with all of your um, your uh, with all your stakeholders has had a very lasting impression uh, on me and I think it has a, a really good uh, really good uh, working relationship that I uh, have with him to then uh, understand the data and, and be able to talk data uh, with our stakeholders. His name's uh, Jason Kelly, if you're listening. Well, Jason, thank you for being Austin's influential practitioner in FinOps. Austin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It was great. Yeah, it was great to talk. All right, everybody, Austin Che, a senior FinOps analyst at a major ERP company. My name's John Meyer, and this has been another awesome episode and discussion around Faces and FinOps powered by our good friends at ProsperOps. Be sure to hit that like, subscribe, and also check out the ProsperOps blog. And until next time.